Welcome to Changing Your Dreams, Parenting a Child with Special Needs, a podcast where we shine a light on the unique grief of special needs parents that few people recognize and no one really talks about. I'm your host, Laura Kitts. How do we live a beautiful life with chronic stress and grief? How do we nurture ourselves while we nurture our children? How do we make ourselves a priority when they need so much? My guests and I will discuss this chronic, ever-renewing grief, transforming your dreams, and how to take care of yourself along the way when parenting a differently abled child. This episode is sponsored by Flight Club. Join a circle of friends who understand you and your life as a special needs parent. Combine that with monthly guest experts, live self-care accountability sessions with me, and easy, actionable assignments to help you emerge from the hard work, transformed, just as the butterfly from her chrysalis, and you've got Flight Club. In today's episode, I talked to Hannah Stainer about how communication can benefit relationships with your children, partner, and yourself. We will explore how to take the stress out of interactions and how talking about our feelings and helping our children to do the same can be beneficial for our own well-being. Hannah Stainer is a teacher, coach, and mentor who supports parents of neurodiverse children to feel more confident in supporting their child. Hannah teaches in special education and mainstream settings in the UK. She has a master's degree in psychology and a postgraduate diploma in inclusive and special education needs, specializing in autism and dyslexia. Let's get to it. Hello, hello, Hannah. I'm so excited to have you here. And so I just want to start by saying congratulations because you just got married. Like, was it one week ago, two weeks ago, something really like yesterday, basically? Yeah, like a week ago Um, and a a couple of days. (laughs) And a couple of, yes. Well, that is so awesome. And I'm super, um, I don't know if, I don't know if jealous is really the word, but envious, um, like, in awe, perhaps is is a good fitting description, because you had a Marvel themed wedding, and I just yeah. think it's so freaking cool that I have to acknowledge it. <laughs> so you yeah. love Marvel? I do love Marvel. It's a, a shared interest that me and my husband. I need to get used to saying that. Right. Um, that we have we have our own interests, and Marvel is something that we both love. And so yeah, it was a kind of rustic Marvel <laughs> themed, which I think is a new genre. For weddings, we're but. a huge Marvel loving family uh, at the Kit's house as well, and so uh, I was really we're kindred spirits. So I have to ask, who's your favorite superhero? Oh, <laughs> do you know I I do love um, there are some amazing strong female characters, and I know it's not Marvel. I do love Wonder Woman. Um, I really like Captain Marvel because she's so powerful and like is same. <laughs> And Scarlet Witch, like on their own, they could pretty much have taken Thanos. And like, that's, whew. Um, that's I do also, yeah. 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 I also love Black Panther, I think, um, mm. you know. So, I mean, I could talk about Marvel all day, but that's not my way. Okay, we'll cut it there. We'll cut it there. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. 
So Hannah Stainer, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for coming. So you are a special education teacher, also a general education teacher, correct? You teach yes. in both, both classrooms, types of classrooms, and you're a coach and a mentor for kids who have neuro differences, neurological differences, and their parents. Yes. Tell us more. Tell us more about what you do and who you are. Yeah. The who who I am is always a really tricky one because I just go like oh, I don't know I love Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good. That's enough for me. <laughs> um, and, and and I really love um, working with young people. And I um, and parents is like, you know. And I know we're speaking to parents now. But my first love, if you like, is working with young people directly. But actually, it's you know a way to really help them is to help parents because you know, that is, is, you're such a big part of their lives and kind of shaping how things go for them. Um, and I trained as a teacher, I trained as a primary teacher, um, and then I worked in, in special education, particularly with autistic young people, um, but also a lot of complex mental health and, and ADHD, dyslexia. So I'm a dyslexia and autism specialist. So um, for a while I could diagnose dyslexia, but I kind of let that lapse a little bit because... okay. The renewal is so in the UK. It's it sounds like it might be different than in the United States because um, it's really hard to get like dyslexia is not necessarily a diagnosis here. Mm. And so is that different there? Is it it's, specifically a diagnosis? <laughs> it's it's complex. Yeah. Okay. So it's um, a specialist teacher who's had training um, or an educational psychologist can do an assessment and do a diagnostic report and really there's not sort of one test it's quite a complex picture and you basically are saying yeah probably <laughs> dyslexic right. it's not an absolute 100% but you kind of build up a body of evidence and also the areas it's it's a really um big picture of these are their strengths these are things they find more challenging these are the things that could be adaptations to support them and overall this is consistent with dyslexia based on this definition, we would say, yeah, okay. they can. Yeah. So it's, okay. yeah, yeah, complex. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Because it's, it's super challenging here. I know for parents who try to get their kids that kind of support and it's just not, kind of not really available in the schools and it's really hard. So uh, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, glad to know that it's kind of across the board. It, 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 it is a tricky disability or di diagnosis. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think what's quite frustrating as a specialist teacher and that this isn't the case just generally in mainstream and possibly in special education as well that a lot of things that are sort of supportive best practice teaching for someone who's dyslexic or someone who's autistic generally are best for everyone <laughs> like but we we don't kind of do them as standard so for example with with dyslexia one of the things that can be um, impacted is working memory so being able to hold kind of instructions in your head and come back to them and so a really simple adaptation is to sort of write out the steps so that you're not having to hold it in your head you can just look and that's super simple but it's just not what we do we just expect children to be able to go here are five things five steps and if they can't keep up with them there can be that oh, I've told you however many times and actually it's a really simple adaptation that would help a lot of children um yeah, but, yeah. I agree and um you know, and my daughter has autism. And so I totally relate on that regard too. you know, a lot of um, kids 
you know, my other kids don't have autism, but super benefit from the things we have in our house for my oldest, like a time timer clock that, you know, shows red and the time runs out to show you, you know, how much time you have for a certain thing and visual schedules and things like that um, are so helpful for especially littler kids when they're, you know, learning those, all those concepts of what yeah. comes next and how to tell time and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Totally agreed. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. we are here today really to talk about mindset and communication modeling um, to help parents with their relationships, not only with their kids, but maybe even their spouses and definitely with themselves as well. So I'd love to dive into that and see what you have to share with us. Yeah, loads of thoughts. This is something I love talking about. So I'll try and organize them in a kind of coherent um, mishmash. Um, coherent <laughs> mismatch. Mishmash. I love it. I'm going to write that down. Okay. Coherent mishmash. Ready, set, go. I've not used that phrase before, but I feel that kind of like, you know, sums up my style, to be honest. Um, I think that the first thing I think, you know, we, we, I think all of us put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And I think particularly for parents, and I'm not a parent, so I'm coming at this from a sort of professional um, perspective, working with young people and parents, but put a lot of pressure on ourselves and feel a lot of guilt for when things don't quite go to plan. And I wish I'd done that better. And I'm sure that's a whole other topic we could talk about. Um, but I think there's something really powerful in, for ourselves, acknowledging that we are human. And that means well, we don't always get it right. And we sometimes go in uh, a bit strong on things when maybe we wouldn't because, you know, we're tired or we're a little frazzled ourselves. And, um, and we can often have certain emotions that a lot of us will kind of go, oh no, we can't, we can't feel those. I can't be angry. I can't be upset because I've got to be strong. I've got to keep going and all of that. And actually that's part of life. It's part of who we are. And when we're not allowing ourselves to sort of experience those emotions, feel them, communicate them, actually what we're passing on to children is those emotions are not okay to feel. You need to hide those we don't, we don't do those and it's not allowing them to, to express them. We can, we can explain things to children, we can teach them, but actually most of what they learn is from what they see, from what you actually do rather than what you tell them. Right. And even if you're telling them something, but you're feeling something different, most of what we communicate comes from our tone of voice, our facial expression, our body you know, anyone who sort of had the classic, like, I'm fine when they're not fine, you you know, <laughs> we can tell because actually the language that we use is like the smallest piece right. of communication. I mean, I feel like we all learned that. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what we learned, right? You know, because why else would we, why else would we do that? Um, yeah. The whole, oh no, I'm fine is so common. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and even just like you said, when you're feeling, um, you know, that grief or that overwhelm or that stress as a parent, um, in some really hard situations, it's, you know, you want to put on that straight face and, that, and, you know, be strong. Um, and so you're telling us that we should try to do it a different way. I think it's having a bit of a balance because I think it is a really valuable lesson to, to show sometimes things are hard and you can persevere and you can get through it because that's a really valuable life lesson. But the reality is there will be times where you are upset, you are angry. And actually, if you never communicate those, then we are 
passing on that message and actually if you can and this can be quite a, a difficult shift if we, we're used to not not allowing ourselves right. those emotions to to say I've had a, a tough day at work or I've had you know there was I don't know awful traffic I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or I'm feeling a bit angry and naming that emotion for ourselves and then we can kind of you know and hopefully <laughs> do something about it so if you're feeling overwhelmed what is it that you normally do to de-stress a little bit is it have a cup of tea and just like <laughs> I need to like I don't know scroll on my phone or I need to mm-hmm. go outside and we might do those things or we might kind of think oh I, I don't I don't have time to do it but actually there's a really valuable lesson in demonstrating to your children we have these emotions they come up you can feel them you can name it you can do something about it and then you can kind of come back to, oh, I'm, I'm okay now. Um, and you know, I love something that you said there. It really got my wheels turning. Um, to practice this in benign situations. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, traffic was super bad. So I'm really tense and crabby or, uh, you know, something happened at work or so-and-so, you know, my friend said this to me today and it hurt my feelings. Yeah. Um, a time when it's not about your child. Yeah, is what I heard. Yeah, Yeah. there's a real difference between I'm upset because of something you've done when it's directed to them, but it's showing, yeah, and that also little things can have that impact on us. So, and I and I think if you're feeling really tense and you're not naming it, as we often do, we kind of think, well, what have I done? Because that's our default. Like I've done something. Mum's upset. Dad's upset because I've done something. Right. Kids will always internalize that. Yeah. Adults right. as well. Right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so by by saying I'm a little bit tense because this situation, and just so you know, that's why I'm tense. This is what I'm going to do about it. Because one, they're not already yes. then. Yeah, they're not already like, what have I done? They're knowing it's okay to to feel tense, and it is possible to do something about it in a kind of more healthy way. Because what often happens, particularly with emotions like anger, if we bury them. It's like a little pressure cooker and then they will just pop up somewhere when we don't want them to. Whereas actually, if we can release them a little bit and go, oh, I feel frustrated. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I don't know, listen to an angry song. I'm going to have a kitchen dance or something to let out some of that energy. They could join in, <laughs> have a little dance together. Right, right. Um, and so I love that. So step one, you have to acknowledge you're human. Mm. Feel and name your emotion. And step two, what are you going to do about it to take care of yourself? And that's what I'm all about. So I'm all about self-care and helping caregivers understand how to make Mm. it a reality in our lives, because that's the really hard part, because we come into a room and go, I have 4,500,000 things to do. Plus I have to sit on the phone with the insurance company all day long. Um, You probably don't have that, that battle in the UK, like we do in America, (laughs) lucky you, but um, over here, uh, that's a big part of our caregiver life is battling with insurance companies. Um, So, so I love that you, you know, that your step two is take care of yourself with that emotion. And so also focusing on these times that aren't crisis with your child, focusing on these times of being able to name your emotion and do something about it in yeah. in an easy non-crisis time that's perfect I love it this and, is so exciting yeah because I think crisis is not the time to try something fancy and new. oh right no it never that's never gonna work out 
But if we, be, if we understand how to make it a habit in these little times that don't matter, then we'll be able to draw on that tool that we've learned. Yeah. Absolutely. in the time of crisis yeah well and also then you know with your child what you can do is when you've done this a few times when they have something that's not really not a full crisis but something they're upset with something someone said or something at school you know you can say oh what's what do, what's the emotion you're feeling you know you can use like a feelings wheel or something to sort of help or you know help them sort of you could suggest emotions oh is it is it sadness is it anger and I think something that's really helpful is asking them where they sort of feel that in their body. So do they feel like tight in their chest? Because by trying to help them to notice what's going on, then they kind of get more familiar with those feelings and recognizing for them for themselves. Um, so helping them name it, and then it could be thinking together, oh, well, what could we do to try and move through this? And I think we is a really powerful word because it's like, we're together. It's not just you have to sort this. It's like, well, we're together what do you think we could do and then you could suggest things but kind of allowing them to sort of come up with ideas and try them and so again smaller things to start with to get used to it and then possibly it's something that when things are a bit more in a crisis if it's something that has become a habit and a a pattern that this is what we do when we feel these big emotions then um yeah I love that. And also really helping the child learn how to identify their own emotions. That can be impossible for some adults. A lot of us have never been taught this. We weren't ever allowed to have emotions growing up, um, some people. So that's really important. And one thing that I have learned um, on my daughter's journey, because she is severely impaired and she is nonverbal. One thing that has really impacted me that I learned from one of her therapists many years ago is to not label her emotions for her, even though she can't tell me how she's feeling. Um, so many people, you know, at, at school and everywhere that she goes, do that to her, you know, give, put words in her mouth and, and tell her how she's feeling. And I, I can read her and I can hear what she's saying in her head. <laughs> and um, she, she doesn't like it. She really doesn't like it. I mean, how would you feel you know, if everyone was like, oh, I see you're mad. Oh, you're mad. You're mad. You're everyone's yeah. oh, anytime she, you know, she's nonverbal. So how, how many ways does she have to express herself? Only a few. Yeah. And so any sort of screaming, crying, upsetness, vocalizing, um, people automatically label it as mad. Well, she might have her feelings hurt. She might have a stomach ache. She might just be feeling sad or lonely or stressed out or any number of the emotions that we all feel. And it doesn't always have to be, oh, you're mad. Um, And so even, so even for those parents who have a child that can't communicate with them, you know, I really think that's a super valuable lesson to not label the child's emotions when you don't know what it is, but offer them an array. I, you know, I hear that, you know, you just name what the truth is. What's the truth? The truth isn't that she's mad because you don't know, but the truth is she's screaming. She's crying. She's yelling, you know, oh, I hear you. You're, you know, very loud. And I, I can tell that something is, you know, getting to you or you're upset or, you know, something's happened. What can I do to help you? Is it this? Is it that? Is it that? And my own daughter so many times, not always, because sometimes when you get too when she gets too elevated and ramped up, you know, you kind of 
she tips over the edge and all is lost and you just got to ride the storm. But if you can catch it before she goes off the cliff, then, you know, then she'll respond to, you know, the things that you say. So I think that's a, a very valid point to, to give for parents who are, could be going, yeah, well, my kid can't tell me anything. Yeah. Oh, and maybe there's something I had in, in my head. And again, this might not work for, for all uh, children, but maybe for younger children or a child who maybe is nonverbal, but, but maybe draws and communicates in that way. Can you draw the feeling, you know, and have like, these are my, my feelings drawn of what color they are, or what they look like. And then it can be, how are you feeling? And it's this one. And so we know this is, maybe it doesn't have a name, but it is a black cloud or something, or it's a orange square or something. And it's something that for them is that's the feeling that I have. Um, but I, yeah, your point of, of not labeling it for them. And I think we, um, for everyone, for, for parents, for adults, we can be quick to assume that we know what's going on. And I think trying to sort of step back and go that you, we don't know, we only know what's going on for us. Everything else is our interpretation of something. And actually what looks like sadness could be hurt. It could be disappointment. It could be anger that's coming out in that way. So actually by saying, you know, tell me how you're feeling or is it this, is it this rather than jumping in? Because actually, if you're saying you're mad when someone's not, that can actually lead to them feeling more disconnected because no, you don't understand. You're saying it's this and it's not. And it can actually have um, a bit of a negative impact maybe on the connection in that moment. Um, whereas actually, if you're being supportive, it's a really lovely way to build that connection and that sense of being heard being understood which I think is something that all of us kind of want as absolutely to feel. yeah absolutely and as you were talking I just vividly was remembering times in my own life when people have said oh you're mad even to me <laughs> and I'll be like no I'm not mad but now I'm mad because you said I was mad and I wasn't <laughs> you know it kind of creates a worse situation when you put labels on people like that yeah yeah you know, and also when you were talking, I got the, um, the feeling of, you know, really pulling this conversation back even and not focusing on the child so much and really just focusing on the, the parent themselves and to have everybody who's listening, just take a minute to take stock of how well they're in touch with their own emotions because so many of us were squelched as children to not, you know, be allowed to have our emotions and so do you even connect with your own emotions? Because before you can help someone else identify theirs, you've yeah. got to take the time maybe to draw your own orange square or label your yeah. own feelings um, however you want. And, and I loved when you said drawing, because I even like, I love to color in those adult coloring books and, you know, it's so therapeutic. And so even doing that labeling, you know, writing out when you're feeling something, be like, big black scribble on your page or whatever yeah well I think it's it's really you know if you if you think of a, a big emotion that you can feel and and so I you know we, we often call them negative but actually they're just communicating something something's not right with my world and how I'm seeing it and so I'm feeling something big and there's a lot of energy and so we want to let it out somehow and so we could go the very physical very explosive really of laying it out but we could like scribble out words or colors or it's still a way of channeling it and letting it out. Um, and so maybe that's something in the moment or kind of afterwards, it could be a, how are you feeling? Like draw how you were feeling or create some music or a dance or however, 
however you want to communicate if that's how I was feeling in that moment and it's allowing you to sort of process it and I think when we can sort of put it out there and we can look at it a little bit then we're not holding it all inside we can kind of look at it a bit more objectively oh that's what it was that's what I was feeling Mm -hmm. yeah and I love your idea too of you know dancing it out in the kitchen (laughs) to a crazy song or something because that's totally what happens here (laughs) on on good days and bad days it it just is a game changer the dancing it out (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I love it I love a kitchen dance party but (laughs) but music as well can be so therapeutic of um, I'm feeling sad so I want the sad song so I can really kind of feel it because actually that can help us to to feel those emotions or it can shift of I'm feeling a bit a bit flat I want something uplifting so it could be that you know um, you have a Spotify playlist or you can go choose a song what's the song about how you're feeling or you know and dance it out so love it yeah love it fantastic okay so what else you got for us yeah, so um, I guess this is kind of ties into the idea of being human. And um, and so this isn't my idea. This comes uh, from Professor Steve Peters, who wrote the uh, the Chimp Paradox, which I have right next to me. Um, the, he wrote what? Say that again. The, the Chimp Paradox. Oh, The Chimp Paradox. Okay, got it's it. It's a brilliant book. It is a very hefty. Yes, <laughs> a very that's hefty a thick book. book. It's, it's got a lot of stuff but there is I think one idea one concept in there which is a, just a brilliant model I think for communication and for relationships um, and I think we can all probably think of a time where we've been in a bit of a confrontation and we've been really emotional really impulsive and then we've kind of come away going oh my god why did I say that why did I do that that's like not me that's out of character and so his model is that we have this chimp mind this monkey mind which is that emotional, impulsive, it's much a much older part of the brain. Um, and it just responds on impulse. So before you have time to kind of really think about what's happening, it can be triggered by things and it just responds. <laughs> and we also have this human mind, which is the more logical, rational. It takes a little bit of time for information to get to it, for it to really go, what's going on and weigh things up. And it can reach much more balanced decisions because it can consider what's going on for you what's going on for other people all of that and so I think this is a really valuable model for yourself to like let go of some of that guilt of I shouldn't have said that okay that wasn't me as a human saying it that was my chimp just responding because it was an emotional situation so when you're going into situations being able to notice that emotional flare-up of whatever comes up and then taking a breath and allowing your human to catch up and go okay I hear you chimp but I hear you but because that's what it's doing it's trying to communicate and keep you safe like okay got it got that message but in this situation this is what we're going to do and kind of showing up as a human showing up as an adult in that situation so I think it's really helpful for ourselves but also if you go into a conversation with with your child or any interaction not necessarily conversation child with the partner, <laughs> with any adult, if you can recognize, hang on, I'm not talking to a human here. <laughs> I'm talking to their chimp. They're really emotional. And actually chimp to chimp is not going to go well. Cause right. you're emotionally- <laughs> then, then, <laughs> now I just see poop flinging everywhere. <laughs> when you got the two chimps trying to hash it out. <laughs> I think that's pretty much what he says. And that's what happens because no one is thinking rationally. No one is able to consider the other person's perspective. It's just like, no. <laughs> 
Whereas if one of you is a human, they can go, okay, let's try and calm down. Let's try and see a way through. And actually, if, you're, if you go into uh, an interaction with your partner, with, you know, with your child, and you can see, hang on, that's their chimp at the moment. Then I think you can take it less personally because that's not a human to human interaction. They're in an emotional state. It's just coming up. They're just responding. Probably they'll feel bad about it later, maybe. Um, and you can sort of say, right, how, how am I going to respond in a situation so I'm not making it worse? I'm not flinging some poo at them as well. Right. Um, but maybe encouraging them. And this is, again, something when you're not in a crisis situation of being able to talk about this model, or think about this model and going, is this your chimp <laughs> at the moment? Mm-hmm. Or let's talk about this when we're both calmer because at the moment we're not calm and mm-hmm. that's not going to be helpful. Yeah, I just see this like coming out so many times. I mean, even my my own monkey mind, you know, flare, rearing its ugly head in conversation. You know, we've all been in COVID land for a good year and a half now. And so we've been cooped up with our families. <laughs> for months on end, our spouses for months. On, nobody goes to work anymore. Everybody's home. Um, so that, that's hard. That's yeah. hard. Um, for me, I, I've always worked from home. And so during school, you know, I'm used to being home alone all day long. And my family hasn't left the house in a year and a half, Hannah. <laughs> I can see times when my monkey mind has definitely come out to play. So yeah. um, I, I love that and being able to release the guilt of that and to be yeah. able to name it um, and in the future talk about it um, with yeah. my family so that we can step back away from it. Yeah. And I think being able to let go of some of that guilt of it's just my monkey mind, but also then to be able to go to, so say you've had an argument with your partner and you've both been the, the monkey mind, you can kind of go to them and say, I'm, I'm really sorry for you know um I wasn't talking to you like human to human I was really right. emotional this is where I was kind of coming from and then seeing if you can talk about it human to human and there's another thing I really love in this um this book as well about having conversations so having big conversations because often we we might talk about something with not the right person or it's not the right time because you're frazzled or they're frazzled or all of those things and um Here's a, these four criteria of, you know, you've got something on your mind. So are you talking to the right person? Because if it is not someone who can actually do anything about it, you might just be ranting and offloading, which can be really valuable. But if they can't actually do anything about it, are they the right person to, to be talking to about it? Is it the right time? Because, you know, when uh, you're both stressed already, <laughs> it's maybe not the time to like try and hash out something. Uh, is it the right place? Is it somewhere that maybe feels calm, feels safe? Cars on a car trip, that is a great place for a conversation. I like. <laughs> or mm-hmm. playing a playing a board game. Something Nobody like can works. leave. <laughs> no one can leave. Well, it's also, it's it's so much less intense because you're side by side, you're not face to face. Or like a board game, and it can be like, oh, just you know, tell me about what was happening with that. I played a lot of board games when I was teaching in, in a specialist role because it was a lovely way of we're not having a serious conversation, but at the same time, we're having a, <laughs> we're having a serious conversation. Sneaking um, it in on you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and then the last one is like the agendas of what you want to get out of that conversation. And that's thinking about both the monkey mind. So what's the emotional thing that you want to get out of 
you know, whatever it is. And then what, as a human, what you want, and that's maybe a bit of compromise. So for example, if you say, um, had an argument with a partner because they're working too much and you want them to help out more around the house, for example. So the chimp side, the monkey side might be emotionally, I don't feel that you are respecting me or I don't feel valued because you are not showing me love in this way. So we have an emotional need for someone to care for us and support us. And, and then the human might be like, okay, you're very busy at work. And the compromise is I need you to do this little bit, not, you know, whatever it might look like. And it mm -hmm. might also be, I can appreciate what's going on for you and how you've got a lot on your plate as well. But kind of having both of those things, that this is my emotional need and this is the sort of reality and what would be a good outcome for me. And so then you're more able to compromise and discuss things, but you're also not discounting your emotional responses, right. which again, as we were talking about, we often do, we often yeah. don't acknowledge them. Yeah. Very true. I see that really, really being quite spot on, especially, you know, caregivers who just always put themselves last. We, you know, so many of my my, you know, members and other moms and parents that I talk to in my work, um, we just, we just never feel like we get to matter, you know, we just never feel like we get, we get to count that our feelings are important enough. I mean, if you had to ask someone, you know, do you feel like you're important? You know, everyone's going to, you know, hem ha usually, well, yeah, but, you know, but in reality, when it comes to it, when everybody's needs are on the table, we take care of everybody's needs first and ours just get shoved and shoved and shoved. And so, um, I think that's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really natural. I think you know, for caregivers, but it's, it's really like a false economy because actually when you're drained, everything is going to feel harder. And actually the way you're showing up for, for your family, for your friends, for yourself and work and whatever's going on is not going to be quite as good as if you took, you know, even just a small amount of time to recharge yourself because, you know, the way you show up in any interactions, the way that you're showing up, the emotions that you're feeling, the energy that you have, that is going to impact. It has that kind of ripple effect. I think we, again, we can all think of times when you've been around someone who is, <laughs> you can feel the energy when they're tense or they're angry or, you right. know, we feel it. And so if you are feeling drained, if you are feeling on edge, overwhelmed, and you're sort of saying, I can't, I can't take time out. People are going to feel that from you. And you're probably going to have less patience if you're really tired. You know, people are going to pick up on it. Children may get the message, it's not okay to take time for myself. And that's how that gets passed on. So really, you know, I think we're having more of a conversation about how it's not selfish for self-care, but it's actually beyond that is so, so important because really, you know, if you're a caregiver, you are so important in your child's life as their parent you are so important in their life they're learning so much from you and so if you can allow yourself that time that is a really powerful lesson for them but it also allows you to try to be the best parent that you can be because you are recharging yourself yes so. yes so so many parents you know the whole put yourself last thing but what I heard you say which just was this huge light bulb for me I mean wasn't new information, but just made my head explode in, in happiness. You know, what I, what I heard was as the caregiver, you're the most important. Mm. 
And so many caregivers feel last, feel like, you know, they're eating their food cold every night because they had to get everybody's everything, you know, at dinner and, and everything's last. And I don't get to, you know, go to bed when I want. I don't get to go out with my friends and I don't get to go on vacations and, you know, all the things that we feel make us feel so last and so bottom um, to understand that none of it would be able to happen if you weren't there. So you're really the most important. So you really need to move up on that totem pole to the top. Um, the eagle placement is always on the top of the totem pole. Um, you know, the caregiver is the most important. And so how do you value the most important thing that makes the whole machine work? You know, you're the most important cog in the wheel. So how do you value yourself? so that everyone else, because of the energy that feeds, so that everyone else feels happy and joyful and yeah. runs smoothly as it can. Yeah. yeah. Such a shift that I want everybody to really get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it is so, so important. Exactly. Like you said, you are that, the main cog. So if you're all gunked up and whatever, everything else is not going to run as efficiently you know, it's, it has a ripple effect. So, you know, if you can maybe not be at your best because <laughs> be realistic, but to really spend that time um, to look after yourself and try and recharge and to, to carve out little bits of time, how you can. And um, I think something, something else I like to talk about is lowering expectations as well, because I feel like I'm a real realist that we can be yes. such per perfectionists. And yes. when we look at, I have to do all this stuff. And to ask yourself, like, why? Because <laughs> some of it. There's a ridiculous high bar set for moms in this yeah. world. The, the whole, you know, Pinterest parties. And I mean, I just can't. I can't with it all. Yeah. I'm all about lowering the expectations. And I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Was, what was I re I was reading something the other day. I can't remember what it was, but they were talking about, um, you know, the, the, they could tell their mom's mood from whether she bought fresh vegetables or frozen vegetables and the frozen vegetables was like I'm overwhelmed and she felt really guilty about it and I was like well some of them have got more nutrients because they're frozen like at sauce and they've not been at the supermarket for ages and actually you can make a really healthy meal from things that are frozen or, or tinned and you know yes maybe you want to have you know freshly home cooked from scratch meals because maybe that's your way of showing love or something's really important do you have to do it every day for right your children to be well-fed and to feel their love probably maybe not. that's three times a week yeah maybe that's one time a week <laughs> maybe that's but, once a month <laughs> but, but I think it's really you know I think it's important to have the sort of non-negotiables of these are the things that are really important because they're my values or what I think is like fundamental for my life for my children um and these are the like the nice to haves and what am I just doing for the sake of it, for no reason. Sometimes we get into habits of doing things. We think we're doing it for someone else, but maybe they don't know. <laughs> they just tolerate it. Or they don't care. It's not important care. to them. Like it's okay, but yeah. whatever, yeah. I can take it or leave it. Yeah. And we, we can be like bending over backwards. Like I'm doing this for you. Why? Because they might, you know, we don't tell them. I'm just, <laughs> we didn't have right. that conversation. Um, all, all these things that we feel that we have to do. And so we're, we're trying to be perfect, which just doesn't, doesn't exist and actually by sort of just going do you know what good enough is good enough actually one of my my favorite 
um, psychoanalyst uh, Winnicott says about the good enough mother that actually that is like what to aim for because there's nothing more than good enough. So just be good enough. So let go of perfect, let go of all those high expectations. What is good enough for you and your family and just let the rest of it go because mm-hmm. probably we're, p- we're putting a lot of extra pressure on ourselves and maybe by letting go of some of that, just being good enough, we can free up a bit of time to, uh, to do some of the self-care that is yes. really going to make a difference. Yes, really fills you up, lights up your soul, makes you happy, brings you some joy, some fun, some something you haven't done in 10 years. And, and you, gosh, remember when you used to do that thing all the time and wasn't that so fun? Yeah. Do it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something I've been thinking about a lot at the moment is this idea of life as play, because mm. as adults, we, we just kind of, we often, not always, but we often stop being creative, we stop playing. And it's something that we know is so beneficial for, for children's learning, for their development, for their well-being. But when we're adults, we're like, no, no, I can't do that stuff. I've got to be serious. And actually, if we just have a bit more play in our lives, it's so good for us. It's, it's such a good model again for our children. It's something that maybe you can do together mm-hmm. and just, I don't know, just chill out because a bit. Because we don't, and, you know, and we don't laugh enough. Yeah. We don't laugh enough. We don't, you know, get that spark of joy enough. And so playing, and, and I love that you brought that up because that is something that's been coming to me a lot lately too, in various ways and shapes and forms. And so I think it's a wonderful thing to share here in that play. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? It can actually mean like your kids' toys, you know, bring out the Play-Doh. Play-Doh is super fun. Can that, 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 can that connectic sand, what is it called? That sand that doesn't fall Ooh, apart? I don't know, but I was gonna say, you can't see, but we've got a whole Lego corner. Legos, yes. And and I, as I already said, we don't have kids. So that's my husband's yes. <laughs> corner. But again, we had this conversation um, a few years ago in our, in our relationship that um, I think, you know, he'd always enjoyed Lego, but it was like, oh, I can't, I can't play with Lego as an adult because I will never get a girlfriend whatever. And I was like, Lego's cool. And suddenly it was like, cool, I can get a Lego. <laughs> so now we've got a whole Lego corner because we let go of these things because oh, I can't do that because I'm a, an adult. But actually they can be really great for us to tap into things we enjoyed as a child, but also they can be these amazing sources of joy as a family of let's play together. Let's do these things mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. So what makes you happy? And if it's not, you know, anything that you can pull out of your kid's closet, then, you know, I'm sure there's something there that's fun, but also do things that are fun for you as an adult. Yeah. Um, you know, and if, if people, you know, I'm just hearing, I'm hearing from the collective energy right now, as we have this conversation, um, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I mean, that is the underlying mantra of every special need parent in existence. I don't have time. Um, and I get it. I mean, I lived in the, I don't have time world for decades, for two decades. And, um, I've just had a complete, you know, shift in realization and understanding of how to really make self-care easy, make it simple and small so that you do have time. You really do have time. You just have to decide that you're worth it. And so, um, if anyone is feeling, you know, like that, if, if I'm speaking your language here, um, you know, reach out to me because I have, I have a club where we get together and I 
teach and we keep going over all the ways I have a, I have a model and it works. And so, um, you know, come join flight club, it's called join flight club. And it's a great place for support and for learning how to really take care of yourself when you have a child with special needs or you're dealing with, you know, caring for someone with chronic illness or whatever the case may be. Um, there's a place where you can learn how to really make it happen because it's really hard. It really is. Um, you know, when you're living this lifestyle of being the one to take care of the someone who really can't take care of themselves or has really high needs or really intense behaviors or things that cause a lot of stress in the house. Um, it's critical for you to understand how to make self-care possible for yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. And I love that you have that community as well, because I think that support as well, because there are so many things in life and I'm sure parenting a child with, um, with special needs is one of those that can feel so isolating and so overwhelming. And to have that, you know, peer support of being able to say, has anyone else ever had this before? And people say, yes, I hear you. Because that's what we want as humans to kind of feel connected, to feel supported and to have that support, support group, but, you know, community, right. I think it's, it's so valuable as well. Yes, you're, you're spot on. It is very isolating, extremely isolating. Um, you know, there are, there are different times throughout my daughter's life, you know, it, it just depends on what stage she's in, where she's at, who I'm connecting with at the time. Um, but no matter what it, you know, it's like a roller coaster up and down, up and down, but always comes back to some time or another, this feeling of loneliness, isolation, even though I have always had a really great support network and I have a really supportive husband, which I know a lot of moms out there are doing it on their own. And, um, and so I know I'm super fortunate, but it's just a lonely gig. It's just mm -hmm. super isolating. It just is. So any way that we can find to support one another is critical in this yeah. journey. Thank you so much for all you're doing in your corner of the world to support and um, for sharing it with us here today. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's something I could honestly talk about all day. Yes, and Marvel. Um. <laughs> yes, the, the two things. Um, I, I would love for you to tell us um, how people can find you because you also have a podcast. So I tell do. us how they can listen to you. Tell us how they can find you if they want more of you. Yeah, um, so my website is probably the best place to go because my podcast lives on there, but it also is on Spotify, Apple, all of those places. And it's www.psykehe.co.uk. Um, and the podcast very creatively called the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast. And so we talk about all kinds of things that are related to mental wellbeing, which is pretty much everything, uh, to be honest. Um, and I have guests on similar to this kind of flow. Um, and it would be lovely at some point if you're interested in coming on my show to have another conversation. Um, well, I would love to. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So I have that written down and I have all your information in the show notes. So if people didn't catch how you spelled that, um, just go to the show notes, click the link and you can find her podcast, her website, all the things. Yeah. Thank you, Perfect. Hannah Stainer. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being here. If you want to learn more about how to take care of yourself along your parenting journey, or how you can better support those special needs parents in your life, you can follow me on social media, Lara Kitts on Facebook and at 
lara.kits on Instagram. And that is spelled L-A-R-A-K-I-T-T-S. I also have a blog on my website that's worth subscribing to. Check it out at larakits.com. Until next time, take care of yourself.